We are at the end of uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, we will move into Joshua next week, the historic books of uh, the scripture, and uh, begin to see um, the development of the land of Israel and <clears throat> what becomes the kings, and then you know, go through the judges, and then the kings, and then um, David's reign, the prophets, the decline, we'll, we'll continue forward into all of that. But where we are is finishing the chapter, which is, you know, Moses and his life and his ministry. And here uh, we actually get to see his passing. So we're going to touch on a subject that I've talked about a number of times, but I, I want uh, to just sort of, uh, you know, declare it as we begin um, and get the premise in our minds because uh, I look, I don't know about you, I look around and I see the church um, as being defeated in a lot of areas. Um, as far as our influence on the culture, uh, that is, you know, at best waning, um, at worst, we might even say gone. Um, there are so many. Uh, negative uh, deteriorations within the church. Look, within the church, the doctrine, God's word, the belief system and structure that we hold to, deteriorating, eroding, being dismantled, replaced. Uh, so, uh, you know, as we are uh, looking at uh, the life of Moses, the nation of Israel, there is the crossing over of the Jordan. And uh, a long time ago, the church changed that message or they allowed that message to be changed so that crossing the Jordan was, symbolized death for the church. And if you're sitting there right now thinking like it does, it absolutely does not. Crossing the Jordan does not symbolize death at all. It is the victorious life of the Christian filled with the Spirit in this world. Okay? You cross the Jordan River, that's the second baptism, right? The New Testament tells us that when they crossed through the Red Sea, all of those people were baptized with Moses. That's a symbol of baptism. That's how interesting that that is described that way in the New Testament. Uh, the departure from the slavery of sin, right? The Red Sea itself, the blood of Christ, delivering us from the bondage of sin and of death, the slavery that hung over us. Come to the Jordan River. So interesting, right? That the first group refuses to cross. Think about the church. You guys, if that symbolizes a second baptism, and I will just say to us, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's so much confusion about what does that mean. And people have seen weird things going on in the church where people say, this person lying on the floor, rolling around, doing strange things, that's the baptism of the Spirit. It's not. Okay? The person that is filled with the Holy Spirit, there will be, Guaranteed, you guys know where I'm headed with this, there will be two things present in their life without question. The love of the Lord, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Secondly, you will love your neighbor as yourself. 
that starts with your your wife, your husband, your children, uh, those around you. Think about revival. Every time that it's described in the scripture, even those occasions we're so familiar with, where it says the Lord's going to pour his spirit out upon uh, individuals, it says that it will restore fathers' hearts to their children and children's hearts to their fathers. Think about the biggest division within our culture, right? The loss of the family, the deterioration of the home, right? When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, the victorious life, I believe and I insist, and I don't mean that like I believe like I think so, I believe wholeheartedly that all of the shenanigans that have been labeled as baptism of the Spirit have at least partly been fueled by the enemy of the church to drive people away from the Holy Spirit, that they would not seek and pursue the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit because it's, it's the victorious life that comes with the filling of the Spirit. Yes, redemption. Yes, salvation. Departure from Egypt, bondage, freedom. But you've got to come to that second place and cross over. You've got to make a different commitment. You've got to have a different experience. Now, for all of our brothers within Christianity that say those things happen simultaneously, that when you're born again, you also receive the baptism of the Spirit. And they point to occasions in the Scripture where it happens. Certainly, we see that in the Scripture. Certainly, that is true. But we also see occasions where it happens separately. People come to believe and are later baptized in the Spirit and have a subsequent experience with the Holy Spirit. It is the victorious life. Crossing the Jordan River, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, is a second phase, a second experience. And each one of us needs to have that with the Lord, where we would see the giants, the inconquerable giants in our lives, defeated. Right, The walls of fortresses of sin in our lives that we could never tear down ourselves collapse under the weight, glory, pressure, power of God that he would perform these works. So where Moses is right now in this final chapter, you don't want to look at Moses dying and think, well, that, what a sad end. You know, this guy didn't make it. And, and therefore there's some black, bleak, picture there for us oh oh, there's a warning for certain right that a man so powerfully used of God could simultaneously be so disobedient to God that he would not see God's promises fulfilled in his own life right Samson's a prime example of that right Powerfully used by the Lord and yet filled with sin and selfishness all throughout his existence, even to his last moment, right? When he takes down the temple and destroys all the Philistine lords, he does it out of selfishness. His prayer is, God, let me commit this final act of suicide, by the way, because of what they did to my eyes. Not because of the glory of the Lord, not to free Israel, not because of God's purposes, God's intention. Out of his own motivation, he accomplishes that last suicidal act. None of us wants to go out that way, right? What, what do we want to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. 
enter into my rest for you, the rest I've prepared for you. So here, Deuteronomy chapter 34, looking at verse 1, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Right? To, to add to this concept, um, many people get to the end of their lives. I've sat at many deathbeds, and I have listened to the regrets. Right, And I help people understand the assurance of Christ and the reward and the fulfillment that is in Christ. But looking back, people will very often have a perfect clarity of their shortcomings. I should have with my children. Oh, that I had been with my spouse. Why didn't I deepen my relationship with the Lord? The list is always those very critical things, always, every time, right? Never once have I heard someone say, oh, I, I really should have painted the garage, you know. If only I had mowed the lawn one more time. It's the important, significant things, right, that make all of life's other concerns pale. You can hear in their voice, I wish I had neglected painting the house and spent more time with my family. I wish I had not been so attentive to my golf swing, my you know, garden, my, you know, all of the things that they understand. The regret. Moses is seeing all of God's promises laid out ahead of him. And they are unfulfilled in his life. How hard is that? Look at this, Moses. This, this is everything I had laid out for you. Right? I promised them to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you were included in that. Why doesn't he get to experience it? Because of one failure. Now, don't, don't take that the wrong way. Don't sit there and think, that's right. I remember that one time I screwed up so bad. The failure for Moses was... He misrepresented the doctrine of God's scripture. It was that big, right? The rock that he struck the first time yielded water, and it nourished the nation of Israel. And when they complained again all that time later, and he needed water from the rock again, and keeping in mind, right, we're talking millions of cubic you know gallons of water a day there's millions of people and all of their livestock need water this isn't a little trick i need a river to come out of this rock is is what moses needs in the moment god says to him speak to the rock 
You struck the rock before as I commanded. This time speak to the rock. New Testament tells us that the rock was Jesus. Not that it symbolized Jesus. I don't understand it. You wrestle with the issue. Uh, the scripture tells us the rock was Jesus. Okay? And Moses struck the rock the first time, right? Jesus was struck on our behalf, right? And we've read many times that he was sacrificed once for all. Doesn't need to ever be struck again. Just simply speak to the rock as you can today, now, this morning. Just speak to Jesus and he'll nourish you and fulfill you and sustain you. You don't need to strike him with your sin. We don't need to commit an assault upon our Lord. Just ask for your need. Ask for the temptation to be dealt with. Ask for the provision in your life. Speak to the rock and it will be provided. Moses, in his anger, strikes the rock a second time. And in that, he uses Aaron's rod you know, it's been comically pointed out that that rod had been laid before the Lord and it had budded, right? Put forth flowers and almonds. What a scene that must have been. Moses out there with almonds and flowers flying. And you know what? It's very out of place for Christian doctrine. The rock doesn't need to be struck. That which the Lord has caused to be fruitful and to blossom does not need to be damaged and assaulted. Moses misrepresents God, misrepresents the scripture, misrepresents Christian doctrine. And as a result, the Lord says, you're not going to be able to enter into the promises of God in this lifetime. Okay, and when I say it doesn't represent death, why? Well, Matthew chapter 17, verse 3, Moses sneaks in to the promised land at the Mount of Transfiguration, right? So we read, behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them and talked with him, meaning Jesus. The grace of God brings us into his presence, the loss, you guys, it is in eternity also, but the loss that occurs in this life when we don't cooperate with God and we don't see his promises fulfilled in our lives leads to an incredible regret now, but it also robs us of reward there. You're going to enter the presence of the Lord. How? Why? Because of his grace. That, that's how you make it in. What would Moses have had? We'll, we'll never know. Had there been an obedience, certainly this chapter would never have been recorded, right? Uh, you and I would love to have many chapters from our lives deleted, amen? So many things that we, we wish were not part of the record of our existence. That comes through cooperation and obedience. Obedience to the Lord's command. So we see here, you shall not cross over. Verse 5 says, so Moses, the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. I, I, I pointed out when we were together last week that that's a very gracious statement, that he is the servant of the Lord, right? Uh, it's only God's grace that records the good stuff, right? If, if this was a human record, it would be Moses the murderer, right? 
Moses the stutterer. Moses the sheep herder. Moses, you know, unrecognized, meaningless, behind the scenes. All the failures would be listed. And they're not. They're not. Who, who, who is it? Moses, servant of the Lord. That's, that's gracious. And I appreciate that the Lord looks at us that way. He died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he, notice the capital H on the pronoun, the Lord, buried him, Moses that is, in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. And that includes the people that insist that they found it. You know, there, there are always those that come along and they found this relic and they found that artifact and they found these things. Right? <clears throat> you guys have heard the phrase knock on wood, right? That comes from the early church selling splinters of the cross. Okay? So they divided up the cross supposedly and sold those splinters to people that were part of the body of Christ. And that continued until one of the early church leaders was quoted as saying, so many splinters of the cross have been sold, but by now you would be capable of building the grandest of cathedrals. Right? And when they were confronted with it, they said, oh, the Lord has miraculously multiplied the cross so that people could continue to have it. You know, the relics that the church has. To this day, supposedly, don't know if it's true, there is a hand, a human hand, that is mummified and dried in the Vatican that they insist is the hand of James, brother of John, that when they beheaded him, he put up his hand and took it off and somebody collected that. And, you know, you can, for a price, go and see that. The relics that the church has collected down through time, whether they're real or fake or imagined or whatever, we have a tendency to idolize the relics that have been left behind. And I'm confident that the Lord was protecting humanity from idolizing Moses' body. There are a few things in the scripture that give us some insight. Numbers chapter 21, verse 5 says, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? And there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread, this worthless bread, you know, manna. I imagine how upset God must have been. Well, I mean, we'll see in just a moment, right? But if you have graciously made someone a meal, even baking them a loaf of bread, and they are complaining and bewailing and criticizing and saying, all I have to eat is this worthless bread. You know, maybe you've had a teenager that behaved, or maybe you were the teenager that behaved like that. The provision that was given to you, you had snide remarks for it. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Then Numbers 21, verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent as he was commanded by the Lord and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. God used this symbol to deliver the nation of Israel from the results of their sin. 
they turn that into an idolatry. And in 2 Kings chapter 18, as Hezekiah, the great reformer, comes to the nation of Israel and begins to purify them of their idolatry, 2 Kings 18 verse 4 records that Hezekiah removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it. And Hezekiah called it Nehushtan, meaning thing of brass. It's just a piece of brass. They're venerating it like, oh, Moses made this. It's a sacred thing. It's a relic of our religion. Offering incense is simultaneous to offering prayers. They were praying to the serpent. Now, while Hezekiah destroyed this, Hebrew history tells us that the people of Israel collected the pieces and smelted it back together again. The idolatry that is in our hearts. You know, I hear all of these different things about this archaeologist and that archaeologist found Noah's Ark and found this and found that, right? I mean, I have to ask the body of Christ at that point, have you found your Bible? Have you found the passage you're supposed to be reading from every day? Because if you haven't done that, then they can find whatever relic from, you know, biblical history they want to. It's not going to change your person. Your relationship with the Lord will. I'll take us a couple steps further. Here, Judah, or Jude rather, uh, I say chapter 1. There's only one chapter. Verse 9 records for us, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. I have often speculated about what was the argument between Michael the archangel and Satan himself about Moses' body. Uh, my, my speculation is that Satan wanted that body. And I don't think he wanted it to just desecrate it. I think he wanted it for the purpose of creating a point of idolatry. That if he could put that within Christianity, put that within the church, there would be a fascination with that rather than with God. That the focus would not be where it was supposed to be. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 17 from the King James Version. Peter speaking says, For he received from God the Father, speaking of Jesus, honor and glory. When there came a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That was from the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17. Continuing in 2 Peter chapter 1 at verse 18, he says, And this voice came from heaven, we heard, when we were with him on the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. These occasions in the history of our faith, these articles 
uh, of, uh, you know, veneration that the church focuses itself inappropriately on. Uh, we're being told over and over again, the more significant is the word of God. You must focus yourself upon the word of God and obedience to it. You know, you don't want to just be a person that memorizes the entire Bible and yet doesn't live by a single syllable. It needs to be that we are absorbing and living by the word of God. Give you two more points. Luke chapter 16, verse 30, Jesus is describing uh, paradise, Abraham's bosom, and hell, and a rich man that was sent to hell. Jesus speaking says, the rich man in hell said, no father Abraham, but if one goes to my five brothers from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. Moses' body, James's hand, some saint, some person from history, your relative being raised up to preach to you will not have the effect on you that obedience to God's word does. Jesus was speaking there when he said, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not listen to one who comes back from the dead. You must listen to God's word over anything else. There's a reason God wrote it down. Uh, you look at the religions of the world. Uh, they have their traditions. What you'll discover is if you look back through the history of those belief systems, they've changed dramatically over time because their traditions have been handed down by word of mouth. You've played that game as a child, telephone, where you whisper in your neighbor's ear and then they whisper in the next, and then all the way around the circle. When it comes back to the original, it's changed so dramatically. And so it is with oral traditions of religion and belief systems. It changes dramatically over time. God wrote it down for not only the accuracy, but also the correction as those believers drift from the original intention, you can go back and discover the original intention and realign yourself to it. Tell me that doesn't need to happen today. The church is wildly off course because they're holding to all kinds of other things. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God need to be people of the word. Continuing in Deuteronomy chapter 34 at verse 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Well, that's quite a commendation right there. And from there, a whole bunch of people are like, I wonder what he was eating. <clears throat> he was miraculously sustained by the Lord is what was going on. He was eating manna, so that's, you know, another consideration in there. But he was miraculously sustained by the Lord. Have you ever met somebody who's a complete health nut, who's incredibly sick? I have met many like it, okay? Just obsessed with all of those things. And then you meet the person who's like junk food, whiskey, and cigarettes, and they're 102. Like, well, like, well, how do you, like, what in the world, you know? Uh, the scripture uh, gives us some insight 
as to these things. Uh, specifically, Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Psalm 90, just before that in verse 10, says the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Right? For some of us, that's disheartening to hear, right? Teach us to number our days, 70 years. That's 25,550 days, in case you were wondering. I have presently used 53 years and six days as I stand here right now. 19,351 days. I have 6,199 days left, according to this. Overdue, some of us, right? If by reason of strength, right? Overdue. Gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we would gain a heart of wisdom. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Are you getting the theme here? The Word of God has to be our focus. Ephesians 5, 16 says, redeem the time. Because the days are evil. Listen, if the days were evil when Paul wrote that to the church at Ephesus, tell me the days are not more sinister now. It's remarkable. Redeem the time. Don't waste the time. Consider where you are. You don't always have tomorrow. 34 verse 8, the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. They were overwhelmed. This man had been a father to them. He had been a savior to them. He had been a deliverer to them. He had been a pastor, a shepherd to them. He had been an incredible, you know, unparalleled influence in world history, and I do mean that, in world history, right? most of the world's judicial systems are based upon the laws of Moses. Most of them. right? Even when people want to point and say, no, this one, the Brahmin, and they were, and they found this. Well, then they tracked that back, whatever their origins were, and they discovered it was Moses' law that the Lord had delivered to him. This man changed the world. He changed the world with his existence. The mourning is appropriate. You know, the focus needs to be, right, the God of the man, not the man of God. The man of God is, is worthy of you know, respect and, and even mourning at loss. Uh, but the proper approach here is for these people to shift their focus to the Lord to make sure that they're paying attention to what they need to. 34 verse 9, changing of the guard has already been prefaced. And now it says Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Uh, Joshua has matured a lot over the years, right? His beginning phases, uh, you know, if you look at Moses and Joshua and the things Joshua learned from Moses and his conduct, 
you can sort of be left intimidated. Like, you know, I'll never meet that standard. That's beyond me. When you can examine someone's life and see where they were and then where they came to, it gives us hope. Because then you can recognize within yourself, I, I'm in a progressive you know, line myself. I'm developing. I'm maturing. I'm growing. Joshua, in the book of Numbers chapter 11, beginning at verse 16, it says, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people, natural leaders amongst the people, and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them. Then in verse 26, it says, But two men had remained in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad. The name of the other was Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet they prophesied in the camp, as the others were doing at the tabernacle. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And here's the point. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people, all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, he and the elders of Israel. Joshua's reaction is, we're the only ones that should have this authority and this power and this capability. And Moses, in his maturity, says, no, the desire is that everyone would have this level of relationship with the Lord. Uh, Joshua has grown. He has changed. He demonstrates immaturity in that. Think, think for just a moment. New Testament, Paul confronts the church because they've begun to say, well, I go to Peter's church. And other people are saying, well, I go to Paul's church. And other people are saying, well, you know, I really only follow Jesus. And Paul says, are you not carnal? When you make these divisive claims, uh, keep in mind, right? The scripture does not make any division inside Christianity. It says you're either in the spirit or you are carnal, right? You're either of the world or you're of the Lord. This, this thing that the church has created, oh, he's a carnal Christian. She's a carnal Christian, the scripture doesn't claim that anywhere. It says you're either carnal or you're of the Lord. So when Paul says, you guys are divisive, you're saying you're of Apollos, you're saying you're of Peter, you're saying you're of Paul, you're, you're proving that you are carnal when you say that. Joshua is saying, hey, 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 ours should be the only church. Moses is over here with his authority anointing these men and they're prophesying and speaking in the spirit on behalf of the Lord. And, you know, Eldad and Medad are off 
doing their own thing. And Moses is saying, you're immature. The Spirit of God can rest upon whoever the Lord puts the Spirit of God. It isn't your denomination. It isn't our church. The body of Christ is very large. And Joshua has to go through the process of learning what it means to be a minister, a shepherd, filled with the Spirit of God. And now he's filled with that Spirit and filled with that wisdom as he takes over. It's it's much better for us, you guys, to wait until the Lord has accomplished what he wants to in our hearts and minds than for us to charge out on our own because we see a need that we we think we should fill. Wait until the Lord has made that very clear. Joel chapter 2 verse 28 says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. So that's how you determine if you're a young man or you're an old person. Is Are you having dreams or are you having visions? Which one is it? So... You know, consider it. Sometimes you feel like you're asleep and you're just, you know, passed out in your lazy armchair or whatever. The Lord speaking to us. According to Peter, this actually began in Acts chapter 2. So here's Moses saying to Joshua, I could wish that God's spirit would be upon all flesh. Joel promises that day is coming, that it's possible. Right, that his spirit would be upon all flesh. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. Peter says, this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit spoken of by the prophet of Joel, wished for by Moses. Now, in the church, again, uh, I describe that there are the shenanigans that have gone on in the name of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, the other end of Christianity has said that the gifts of the Spirit have ended. That all of that stuff that's going on is, you know, wrong and false. And some have even said it's of the devil, that it's not of the Lord. Keep in mind, right, that the things that even people have criticized, you know, in their book, saying that it's strange fire, uh, those that have criticized the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, those things were going on in the first 100 years of the church. Paul addressed them very directly. Okay, so so to say that what's going on today is incorrect, I would probably agree with a lot of that. The same as it was incorrect at the Church of Corinth, and Paul had to write them, you know, well, actually four letters of correction, two of which we have in the process as he corrects them for their misbehaviors. So, Some of those things that are going on are incorrect. But to then say that the Holy Spirit has stopped and it's not available to humanity anymore is to ignore the word of God. Okay, Peter said, Acts chapter 2, that's the start of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Joel promised, chapter 2, beginning at verse 28. If you continue there in Joel, it says, the outpouring of God's Spirit will continue even until there are Wonders in heaven and on earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Again, according to Joel. 
It's going to continue through those things. Any of you that are students of the scripture know that that's, those things are happening during the tribulation. So the indication is both by Joel, by Peter, by Jesus, that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit will continue all the way until the return of Jesus Christ when he takes his throne and sets up his kingdom on earth. Again, to encourage you, to pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the victorious life as a Christian believer here and now to serve the Lord. 34.9, now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded him. I want to just bluntly say Joshua did not receive the power by the laying on of hands. If that's difficult for you to accept, I just want to look at a couple of things here, right? <clears throat> the laying on of the hands of Moses was designed to signify to the nation of Israel that Moses was passing his authority to Joshua. It was to show the nation of Israel that his approval was on Joshua to Make the point further, there is a movement within Christianity that says, right, Peter was the first pope, and then Peter laid his hands on the next guy and transferred his power to the next guy, and then that down to the next, and then the ne and then the next, and all the way to the pope that we have today. And the, the power has been transferred through the, the laying on of hands. What they won't tell you is there were several occasions where the popes died before they ever got to lay their hands on the next person. Okay? And what about the occasions where... You know, we simultaneously see that there were two women functioning as popes and they were also allowing prostitution to go on that was coming into the bankrolls of the church. I mean, the sin that has gone on from time to time, not all of it, right? But, but the things that have gone on, are we supposed to assume, yeah, oh yeah, somebody laid their hands on them, therefore whatever they're doing was approved by God. Absolutely not. Okay, what you see here is Moses recognizes Joshua has been anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the leader of the nation of Israel. God even tells Moses that. So Moses brings Joshua out, lays his hands upon him, signifying to the people, this is the man who the power is going to be transferred for the authority to rule and run this nation. New Testament insight 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, this practice of laying on of hands continues. Paul says to Timothy, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Don't do that quickly. Indicating, indicating that you might lay hands on somebody that God has not laid his hands on. Indicating it can happen. Somebody might have the certificate hanging on the wall. They might have a whole bunch of approval of men, and they are not anointed by the Lord, and they do not have God's approval. We should not assume that someone is just automatically ordained by God. Because honestly, we don't care, right, if you're ordained by men. You shouldn't care if someone is ordained by men, as long as they're anointed by God. Right? We appreciate it if they're ordained by men and anointed by God. Right? 
If you've been to school and you have the degree and you have understood and learned and have the doctorate, praise God if you're also anointed by the Lord. If not, then you're detrimental to the process. Specifically, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 says, Let those also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Much of the church is engaged in just appointing deacons and appointing elders and appointing pastors only to discover later they're not appointed by God at all. The church would be wise to follow the biblical example. Verse 10, but since then there was not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land, and by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. And if you think we're done, I got a whole handful of references I need to give you here, seriously. So stay with me for just a couple more minutes at least. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, right? Nobody's been around like Moses. Moses was awesome. Moses brought all of these plagues. Moses parted the Red Sea. Moses, you know, uh, spoke, struck, the rock, struck the rock, brought water, you know, did all of these amazing things. Sure, that's, that's wonderful. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, the Lord said, uh, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Now listen, Jesus Christ fulfilled that, right? Jesus came, Jesus came and eclipsed Moses' miracles. He, he astounded the world with his capabilities. But, right, the world, and in particular, Israel, rejected him. They did not accept him. So, you know, in this discussion, Deuteronomy 18 says that when this prophet comes, they will hear him. We've heard him. We're sitting here this morning listening to the Lord speak to us through the word. So we've accepted and we've received, but the world has rejected Jesus. And that sets them up because there's a longing in the heart of humanity to have a leader like Moses, to have someone who's miraculous. John chapter 5, verse 43 says, I have come, Jesus speaking, in my Father's name. He did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Right now, the world is looking for uh, a Messiah. They're looking for a Savior. You know, they want somebody to come and provide a solution for peace. They want somebody to come and provide equity within our you know uh, societies they, they want somebody to come and and provide healing to, to give you know the vaccine to give uh, deliverance from the plagues uh, food uh, you know safety they long for this to happen there's going to come one who uh, presents himself as being capable of those things right and, and and to a degree, he will be capable of generating some of it. 
some of it, to a degree. There'll be massive problems associated with it. Uh, like most of the politicians, right, make great promises, fulfill the ones that are uh, self-gratifying in the process. Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 9, Paul speaking, says, The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. The Antichrist is coming, and he will astonish the world with his capabilities. The world is going to be duped by this. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, looking at verse 13, said, For such are false apostles, speaking of these influences within the church, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Right? I mean, you've watched the television, you've read the articles, seen the ministers, been shocked by the sinful behavior, and thought, how could that person have been a pastor? How could that person have been a minister? How could that person have been in the place that they were? They transformed themselves into followers of Christ. Verse 14, Paul says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Satan is capable of appearing as a luminary, appearing as beautiful, appearing as a savior. And the world follows it all the time. You know, here in this community, you know, one of the most unchurched communities in the United States, there is a great following of Eastern mysticism and the New Age. And, they, you know, years ago, Lord Maitreya, everybody was looking for a savior, wanting a messiah, listening to the gurus and following their teachings. They had certain powers and capabilities. Matthew chapter 24, two more references, stay with me. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, Jesus speaking, right? Uh, all of that discourse as he teaches the apostles. He says, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now, we've talked about this recently, and I just want to give you some reassurance here. Uh, the Greek has three forms of the word if, right? We, we have one form of the word if, and then within context, we're able to get a, a slightly different understanding of it. Within the Greek, as they include the word if, it has an understood meaning. And if is like you would think of it like, probably not going to happen if you know then there is if that is completely negative you know to say like as if you know it cannot happen and then there is if in the positive like if you will then this can be yours is the attitude this idea if possible conceiving even the elect is the absolute negative of as if meaning it's not possible to deceive the elect. But within the context, the power that this false teacher will yield is going to be so strong that everyone else will be deceived by it. Okay, now, right now, 
The vaccine is not the mark of the beast, right? Let's let's be clear on that one more time. Uh, you know, if you've had the vaccine or you want to get the vaccine, please do that. Uh, you know, we we don't have any negativity towards that whatsoever. If you've had it or if you want to get it at all, we do have a strong opposition to the forceful mandate, freedom, okay? freedom to choose it or freedom to reject it. To remove that freedom is is tyranny in the process. <clears throat> what our culture is being conditioned to do is accept what is forced upon them, uh, that you don't have choice. This one that's going to come is going to influence our culture. This this experience that we've just had, I just having a conversation last night with a group of people about they have learned what they wanted to with this occasion. If they could have taken over, they would have, right? But, but don't mistake it in thinking that uh, we've pushed them back and they've learned to just keep their hands off and back off. Okay, that, that is not what they've learned. What they've learned is where the pockets of resistance are. That's what they've learned. They're coming again, and the, and the push is going to be far more excessive. It's going to be completely forceful. How is it going to take place? I don't know. Okay, this one that's going to come is going to exert himself in such a way. You think that right now, the context I'm trying to get to here is, you think right now you feel like the only one who's seeing things correctly, thinking clearly. I mean, have you talked to people that as you present truth to them, it's like talking to a crazy person? You present truth to them, and they're like, no, I don't see it. Really? You don't see it. I mean, the studies that have been done endlessly to prove our point, and you show somebody plainly, you can sit right down and read with them line upon line. They're like, no, still don't get it. Deception. Delusion. There's a power at work in our world. And I'm telling you that what's coming is going to be way stronger, way stronger. And if you feel like an outsider right now, you wait for what's coming. Your heart needs to be prepared to resist, prepared to take whatever comes. And I do mean whatever comes. It's outrageous where we are headed and the things we see happening in our culture. Please, please Grow in your relationship with the Lord and be strong enough to resist because what lies ahead of us is going to be overwhelming. To just close it out with a hopefulness you can hang on to. John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. If you didn't get anything else out of this sermon, please steal your neighbor's pen, write this down on your hand, take this idea home. John chapter 10. Beginning at verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Verse 28, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. No one's going to snatch you out of Christ's hand. Okay, 
you listen to the voice of your shepherd. Why? Well, I, I don't know when I hear from God. I don't know when I'm not hearing from How do I know when I, I'm hearing from God? Well, listen, I'm glad you asked the question because you can learn when you are. And the best way to do that, like if I haven't dwelled on it enough already, is be in the word of God every day. Be in the word of God, because then when you hear things that don't line up with it, you'll be like, oh, that doesn't sound like what I've been listening to every day. I've been reading and listening to the voice of my shepherd, and now I'm hearing something that doesn't sound like the voice of my shepherd. Does not line up with what I would think of the Lord. Become accustomed, and you can very quickly become accustomed to the voice of your shepherd. Know and understand him and what he's saying to you and be led by him. And if you'll submit yourself, right? It isn't in your skill and your ability to hear him and respond to him, right? I walk different places with my grandchildren. And, you know, when I had my daughters, they were little, you know, sometimes you cross in the street, you're in a dangerous place. Yeah, they're holding my hand. But the safety isn't in them holding my hand, right? It's in the fact that I'm holding their hand. So you do need to learn to hang on to Jesus. Hang on to your heavenly father. But understand, if you've submitted to that, if you've raised your hand and said, please take my hand. If he's got you, then he's got you. He's protecting you. He's preserving you through the process. So Moses passes away. He leaves the scene. He transfers the power. <clears throat> We've had a similar thing happen, right? The Lord was here on earth, demonstrated, showed us such great authority, and he departed. But he said to us specifically, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, right? And he actually said, it's to your benefit that I depart because then everybody gets to have the Holy Spirit. Right? Because if Jesus is here, then he's in one location. Right? You gotta go to the Sea of Galilee, you gotta go to Mount Hermon, you gotta go to wherever Jesus is, which would be great, and that day is coming, right? But the idea of the distribution of his person to all of humanity. That, that's why I took us into Joel chapter two. You know, that which has been promised by the Lord has been distributed to us. Learn that voice, hold that hand. He'll never forsake you. Amen? Amen. Well, that's the time we have. Why don't we stand and we'll pray. Father, we are very grateful for your love, for your work, Lord, for your touch, your care, your ministry in our lives. Help us to be men and women that follow you. And I mean that. That walk with you, that are in fellowship with you, that know your voice. Lord, if, if we have been believers, but we have that hesitancy this morning to think, I don't know if I know the voice of my shepherd. Lord, I pray that you would reassure those hearts here, that as they leave, they would know you're saying to them right now, I'm going to teach you my voice, that you're going to walk with them, that you're not going to lose them, you're not going to let go of them, care for them, bless them, keep them. Watch over all of us. Please protect us. Provide for us until we are together again. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.